Welcome to Church 213. We're so glad you're listening to our sermon series on 1 Peter titled A Cautious Crossing. The book of 1 Peter was an important letter to first century believers, encouraging them on how to carefully influence and impact their culture. This message is still relevant today as we Christians carefully make the cautious crossing toward heaven. Join us on our journey through this fantastic book. guys can be seated. There's a story of a family who went day hiking at a national park for vacation. We've all been there, most of us. You know how dangerous that can be. And they picked this particular spot because the map at the visitor center listed this loop trail as a mild hike with no elevation. It went on to say that along this trail there was a good chance of wildflowers, rainbows, unicorns, wildlife. The kids are like, yeah, this is it. Well, they parked at the trailhead and they went off. And about halfway into the hike, The trail conditions completely changed when they came upon this wooden bridge at a river crossing. And at that point, the ground became extremely and dangerously unstable. The flowers faded. The weeds were overtaking the path. The trail blazes on the trees became harder to read. They could hear the rushing water in the ravine below and storm clouds were overhead. Parents looked at one another and it was becoming obvious that this mild hike that the visitor center said would be a glamorous stroll was quickly becoming very different than they thought it would be. They were in unfamiliar territory. You ever been there? Just go to Walmart and Conyers. So what did they do? They stopped. They stopped and they got out their trail map and, and, uh, and, and they realized that that this was not the crossing that they had been expecting. And they looked closer at the map. And when they looked closer at the map, they saw their error. And the error was this. They were on the right trail. Peace and joy was ahead. But they'd failed to look at the essentials of the full route. See, they'd overlooked this small little asterisk, this small little warning sign right there at the bottom of the map that read this. A cautious crossing along the trail require... Refer to details for safe passage. And so the family, they they took this map and they turned it over. And quickly, right there, sure enough, in black and white, was instructions for a cautious crossing. See, they thought they were lost on the path because the situation they found themselves in. But listen, in reality, they just overlooked the reminders of, of who they were and where they were going. See, I want you to know this. Y'all with me? Where we are right now is only a glimpse of where God's going to take us. We can't see the full picture. He's with us as, as we hike through life. Listen, more than you could ever dream or imagine. He is right there with us. Life is formed in His hands. 
He alone, catch this, knows our story. Wow. Thank you, Jesus is, is right. See, here's why. That would, it would be unjust for the Father to lead you to walk a path and not help you give instructions to navigate through it. We, we serve a good Father. We serve a masterful creator that formed us in his hands, who formed us as he has formed all the earth. We just sang that. I hope you sang it from, the, from a place of your heart. I hope you believe that. My prayer is that if God doesn't do it today, it's not going to get done. God's got to do something. As we're making a cautious crossing, and I get it, there may, there may be this chasm that seems far too wide, and, and I get it. You might not be able to see the other side right now, but you hear me. He is always involved in the open seas of uncertainty. He walks on the waves, people. He calls us out to walk on the waves with Him. But where do we go wrong as we're walking the, 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 the path of life? This is where we go wrong. We don't, we don't recognize Him. We don't recognize. We're not always aware of Him. We're not always, we're not always privy to His promises. Why? Because our ignorance of the map. And so He's there. He's shaping, he's leading, he's guiding. We're just not looking intently enough. What is, what is our duty? Our duty is to follow the map cautiously. Amen, church. That is our duty. That is our duty. That is the story of 1 Peter. That's the story of 1 Peter. Before we dig into it, let me, let me just say this about 1 Peter. What's going on is... Believers in Asia Minor have found themselves weary and weakening living for the cause of Christ as outsiders inside of their own community. Does that sound familiar? Oh man, we're talking about weary travelers. There's a song on the radio I love. It's called Weary Traveler. First Peter is a story of weary travelers. And that's the letter toward the end of the New Testament. This, this letter was to be a shot of adrenaline. It was to grab these Christians by the shoulders and say in this, don't you forget who you are. Don't you forget what you know. Don't you forget what you have. And don't you forget where you're going. And that message is more on time for believers today than ever before. Because Christendom... That has been the fabric of Western culture for 1,700 years is all but vanished. You know it and I know it. If you're looking intently at the map. We're looking around as outsiders inside of our very own community. And what happens? What does this create? It creates a path for us, for the saved, that we'll have to travel. And it's going to be full of unimaginable twists and turns and weeds and storms. That's where we're headed. If you're here for this morning for a great news, I've got some good news for you. It's coming. Hang on, okay? It's coming, I promise. There's always hope in the power of the resurrected Lord. This is the book for us for a time such as this. See, I don't know any believer over 25 that can say that their crossing in this life has been mild with little elevation drops. Anybody over 25? I had no idea I'd be doing this. I was planning to be a real estate salesman, not a shepherd. Y'all write this down, it's on your notes. We're not earthly beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having an earthly experience. It's not our home. This is not our home. 
So we have to make a cautious crossing. Great quote on life I read this week. It said, in the book of life, the answers aren't in the back. You know who said that? Charlie Brown. <laughs> Charlie Brown. And so for the next few weeks, this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be walking verse by verse through the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be walking through the book of 1 Peter in a series that I've titled, A Cautious Crossing. And here's the reality. You and I, if you are blood-bought, redeemed, if you are the chosen of God, to know the Spirit of God and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the person of God th through the Son of God, if, if that is you this morning, this is right on time for us. Because the reality is we have to be very careful how we step. We have to be very careful how we handle our lives because life is the sum total of all the decisions that we make every day. You are a culmination of your decisions. And those decisions are determined by our urgency, an urgent dependency. If, if, I, just, if I could describe my heart this year, it, it's been that. It's just been an urgent dependency. Lord, if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. It's not going to get done. And, and listen, I'm on the wall, okay? I'm on the wall as your pastor. And let me tell you what I, what I see. I'm smelling some storm cloud, church. I'm smelling some storm clouds of confusion. And I'm seeing the signs of distractions. It's all around us. So we better be ready now to endure faithfully under the pressure of the unregenerate. That's us. First Peter chapter 1. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. First Peter chapter 1. Almost in the back. Cautious crossing. We're going to start at the beginning. We're going to walk through this for the next few weeks. Verse by verse. The book of 1 Peter. Verse 1 says this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's out of the gate. To the chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. To be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Verse 3. Blessed. Be the God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a, what church? Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power. Through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's, let's, let me pray over this for us. Let's pray, church. God, if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. God, I pray, Lord, that the enemy would not rob the hearers of your word this morning. Lord, as we know, they are ready to pluck the good seed from the soil. God, I pray that the people in this room, their ears would be open. They would be attentive. God, give them eyes wide open. Give them hearts where this seed can land and take root, Lord, so your glory could be known in all the earth. Lord, if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. So, Father, I pray that you would infuse our backbones with living hope this morning.
God, let your work only be accomplished through your word this morning. God, use it to do a miracle before our very eyes. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. A cautious crossing. A cautious crossing. See, when you go, when you go anywhere with your children, you go through a dangerous crossing. I don't know about you, but I like to reach out and I like to feel those small hands in my hand. Now, I don't have to force my kids to hold my hand. My, my girls, I have to force Parker to hold my hand because he's 21. <laughs> he's so big, I don't even go ahead of me. But my girls, when I, when I go across the parking lot, because my great love for them, I give access to them so they can hold my hand. So with my wisdom and my knowledge and my strength and my experience, I can navigate that parking lot so we can make it home safely. And so because God loves us so much as believers who he has sealed for all of inheritance for glory, he's holding out our hands to you this morning. Listen, he's got his hands out. He's saying, just hold my hand because we're going to walk this we're going to walk this path together. So to make a cautious crossing every day, what Peter does is he, he, he starts this beautiful reminder to these believers. Remember, he's got them by the shoulders. And he's saying this, he's like, a, you have to be a person of future hope. If you're going to make a cautious crossing as believers in the world that we are currently in, we have to be people of future hope. That's what we see in verse 1 and 2. Look at it. you got to be people of future hope. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Christ, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Remember, these are dispersed people. So he's bringing this connection between being sprinkled with the blood and they are sprinkled in culture. And so it's a reminder letter right out of the gate. Future hope. Let's say that together, church. Future hope. One more time. Future hope. As believers, making a cautious crossing. Using that dash between the dates. We better use that dash very cautiously. Who is this writer? Well, the writer identifies himself as Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. What this letter is acting as is like a trip guide of sorts. As you know, you can call it that. It was written by the apostle Peter, who was an eyewitness to, of the cross. He's, he's writing in Rome in the first century. So it's mid-first century. This is only 30 years after the resurrection of Christ. Y'all, this was fresh. This still had the wrapper on it. This is the same man who denied the Lord and ran away in the courtyard of, of Caiaphas the night Jesus was arrested. This was fresh. This was fresh. Let me ask you this. If everything on your path suddenly changed, where's your hope? If everything on your path changes just like that, where is your hope? So these people were, were there. And so, man, what, what better person 
to write this letter, if there were, there were any apostle that lived from a perspective of future hope, guess who it was? It was Peter, because it was fresh. See, Peter was known by three names in the Bible. So the parents gave him a name. It was a Greek name. It was, it was Simon. But when he met Jesus on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, the king changed his name to Cephas. Why would Jesus change his name? Why would God want him to be known in the community as someone new? Man, you see the gospel unfolding right here? Because God sees further down the path than we can, y'all. He can see around the corner. And he's dead serious, yet he's alive about the work that his grace wants to complete in our lives where he's planted you. Listen, bloom where you're planted. Love Jesus and bloom where you're planted. And so he changes his name to Cephas. Cephas is the Aramaic translation of Peter, which means a stone. He's a fisherman. Now he's a stone. What do we know about a stone? It's firm. It's fixed. It's unmovable. It's an element. So if you think about future hope, pre-Jesus, Simon was a fisherman tossed by the winds and the waves of life. But now his name means rock because he met Jesus. And his his entire identity had been changed and rearranged around hope. Man, hope's a powerful thing. God had taken a man prone to fail in his old nature, an old fisherman, a man who had struck out so many times in his life, yet Christ called him to a new, unmovable, and unshakable influence. You talk about redemption. Who better to write, who better to write into Cappadocia and Bithynia and Pontus and Galatia and Asia to people scattered and persecuted than a man who experienced hope 30 years ago? This guy, God is in the details. Peter's writing these words of grace and peace as a man who God never gave up on. To God be the glory. God should have flicked me off the timeline of humanity a long time ago. And as Simon, what was it? He was just another human piece of clay, but Jesus Christ made a rock out of him. And he had a future hope. You know what he's doing? He's passing that reality on to his people. God had given him a platform of hope, and he was speaking it. Listen, future hope says, smile today, for God is at your tomorrow. Do you hear what I just said? Church, you smile today, because God is at your tomorrow. Future hope tells us, you lift your head, you weary traveler. Future hope says, this is not how the story can end. Future hope says, hold tight, God is able, and you hold tight because God is available. God says future hope helps us take that next step in our cautious crossing. Peter was a man of many sorrows, but right here, he was a man of future hope. And this is the posture that he's writing this letter from. What authority? What authority? Because if anyone knew that God can take a mangled mess and turn it into a masterpiece, it was this guy. It was this guy. It was Peter. And this letter was like water to a thirsty soul. But who is it to? Look at it. Verse 1. Lays it out there. Peter, the, the apostle of Jesus Christ. 
There's a whole message right there in those words. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And so Peter, what he's doing is he's writing to, he uses the word elect exiles. And these elect exiles were a specific group of people that were scattered in five different provinces all around Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. So if you're looking at Israel, you're going to go north and you're going to go west. Okay, Turkey, it's all over the news right now. That was Asia Minor right there. All these, these little pockets of new believers. A pocket of community that happened and came out of Pentecost when God built the church to be somebody. We are somebody because God don't make no junk, right? That was last week. And so what we see is a step from the empty tomb into the church into the culture. That's the step that we've made the last three weeks. From Easter to the birth of the church into the culture. And so when Peter writes elect exiles, these were, these were mostly Gentile believers. There were a few Jewish believers that were, that were mixed in there. But what he's saying to them is, hey, these were Gentile believers who God had saved in his sovereign authority and by his will. And because of that, They are to have grace and they are to have peace multiplied because where God had found them in the world, but not of the world. There's joy there. This is meant to be a letter that puts a smile on their face. I realize that there are not a lot of smiles because I can see every one of your faces. Smile, okay? Praise God, the opportunity we have to just be in church in America. May we never take that for granted. May we never take it for granted. I'm I'm on the wall. Listen, may we never take it for granted. And so these people were part of a different system now. No longer under the kingdom of darkness and its philosophies. They are now a part of a new rule and reign called Christianity. The church, the rule of God. They They are to walk different. They were to talk different. They were to look different as exiles. And they've been chosen by God, by God's love in the deep, Council of eternity for heavenly purpose. And Peter, he, he never wanted them to forget who they were as long as they lived that out in their daily lives. And I don't want you to forget that as you make a daily crossing, a, cro- a cautious, cautious crossing every single day. Every day that your feet hit the floor and God gives you new breath in your lungs, it's a cautious crossing. And we better have our hand held to the Father. In the Bible, to foreknow means to to set one's love on a person in a personal way. That's, That's what that word means. To foreknow means to set your love on a person in a personal way. And we see it used like that in the New Testament. Uh, Amos chapter 3 verse 2 says this. I have known... Only you out of all the clans of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all of your iniquities. What we see there is there's discipline because there is love. And you know where there is love, there has to be discipline. 
Where there's discipline, you discipline out of love, not out of anger. God disciplines those that he loves. And what he's saying is the love right here that God has for the nation of Israel, I have known only you out of all the clans of the earth. God chose to apply his love before the foundations of the earth was laid. He chose to love those people. Psalm 1-6 is that same idea. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. He watches over. He, he applies something that he knows that we don't have any control over. It's a, to, fore, to foreknow. What this is saying is God, is God has set his love on the nation of Israel. And that kept them going through the wilderness. Should have been an 11-day journey. 40 years, okay? That's because the, the woman said, we need to go a different way. And the guy's going, I got this. <laughs> so for 40 years, they, they wanted, it was an 11, 11-mile hike. Not that long. But for 40 years, they wondered. But for 40 years, God kept reminding them, I have foreknew you. I chose you. I love you. I got you. Keep going. Keep going. And what Peter's doing is he's drawing the reader's mind to this same idea. He wants these believers to never forget that God chose to love them before they even knew to love him. God loves you and God loves me before we even knew to love him or accept that love. God foreknew us. And Peter was telling these people, Peter was telling these people, hey, God's love always been behind you. He's telling them, you're not going to light the path in the days ahead, but they can make a cautious crossing because God's love for them. Let me, let me illustrate this for you. How does this, how does this thought help you keep going? Well, Think about it like this. When you face uncertainty, let's say an emergency situation, typically the last words you'll utter will be, I love you. I mean, imagine yourself, and maybe you've been in a situation where something happens and you have to call an ambulance on your loved one, and the EMTs get there, they load them up, they put them in the back, they close those doors, and as they drive away, what might we say? I love you. Why would we... Why would we use those words? Why would, why would we not say, you're a great cook? <laughs> why, why would we not say, hey, I'll let you know who won the Braves game tonight. You're not going to say, you say, I love you in, in that moment. If you've experienced this, your, your, young, your young driver turns 16 and gets in the driveway in the car and he drives out for the, last, for the first time and you're, you're thinking, Lord, don't let this be the last time. And then what, what might you say? I love you. Right? Not, hey, make sure you swing by and pick me something up when, on the way home. You say, I love you. You say, I love you. When, when maybe you roll into surgery and you have a loved one that leaves and goes into the OR, the last thing you might say might be, I love you. Because what you're trying to do, catch this, you're trying to let them know that you have foreknew the love for them. And that will get them through anything that they're facing around that door of the ambulance, around that door of the OR, down the road to the left. You want them to know when they face uncertainty that there's someone that has always and will always love them. And that's what Peter's saying to these people. 
I love to watch t-ball moms cheer on their t-ball players. That little t-baller for the first time, take that bat, and he'll get up to the plate, and there's always this mom. I love you, sweetie. Why? Because she can tell he's, he's nervous. She wants him to succeed. She wants to throw his support and security and protection. And in that moment, the only thing that's appropriate is those words, I love you. And that's exactly what God is doing for us as we're making a cautious crossing. He's like, don't you forget. I foreknew you. I love you in Christ Jesus. You guys write this down. It's, it's right there. Christians can have a future hope in any circumstance when they realize God's love has been applied since eternity. I want you to know this morning you can do this because God chose to love you. Whatever it is, take that next step toward me. The Lord's saying, you take the next step toward me I loved you forever. Just one more day for me. I loved you yesterday. Nothing makes sense. I get it. I love you today, despite of you. Man, what encouragement. What encouragement. The word exile means strangers. It it just means pilgrims. Not because they were forced to live there. They weren't forced. This This is where they lived when the gospel reached them. Now it's made them exiles. It's made them exiles. You're no longer in that native home, even when your earthly address maybe not has changed. You know, when you think about that, when, when a person acts like the unchurched community, the community around them will make you feel like an expert. You'll feel right at home, won't you? You don't feel like an exile. But the moment you take a stand for Christ, you certainly look around and you're like, I really don't recognize this place that I've been at all this time. I don't recognize it. No longer are you an expert, you feel like an exile, right? That's what Christ in you would do. It'll make you feel like an exile in those same places. But I want you to know, he's saying, don't you be caught off guard by the changes in the conditions. The condition that's changed is a good condition. You have changed your focus. This is no longer your home. What does future hope do? What does it do? It it keeps our hearts tethered when our hands are weathered. That's what future hope will do. And he's saying, you grace and peace to you. Here's the thing about grace and peace and future hope. It doesn't put you in a hammock that you just kick back and just wait on Jesus to return. That's not what future hope does. What future hope does, it, it puts us on the ground when the days are long. It puts us on the ground when the battles are hard. And it says, hey, you got an anchor here. This is not your home. But you keep your eyes pointed toward the Lord Jesus. Because he set his affection on you before you even knew you were here. So grace and peace be multiplied to you. One more time, verse 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the pre-selected love of God, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. He's saying, hey, this is where you are. 
Don't you ever forget it. This is where you are. But then in verse 3, he, he adds to it. If we're going to make a cautious crossing, we have to know that our future hope has a fixed foundation. Hope, has to, hope can't be just a strategy. It has to have substance. It has to be rooted in something unmovable and unshakable. Hope. You can hope and you can hope and you can hope. But unless there's actually a plan of action, something that's unmovable, it's not going to happen. And we put our hope in things all the time that are fixed. We put our hope in ladders. We put our hope in stools. We put our hope in, we put our hope in bridges. We put our hope in our vehicles. We don't want those things to fail. And so if we're going to have a, if we're going to have a future of hope with our lives, we better make sure that we are building our lives on something that is an unshakable foundation. And so that's where Peter takes the mind of these believers right here. He makes it clear that, hey, I, yeah, I get it. You're going to be suffering on your current path, but it's not just this pie in the sky future hope. You've got to be a, a person of God's security. That's the second thing. If we're going to make a cautious crossing, we've got to be people of future hope. You've got to get up in the morning. You have to hope for something. But you have to make sure that that hope of something is actually built on something to hold up your expectations. And that's what, they, that's what, they're, that's what they're getting. A person of God's security. He rolls into it in verse 3. Look at this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. He's saying, hey, you can have a future hope. You can have a future hope that's unshakable because it's actually rooted in something that's unshakable. He, remember, he's got them by the shoulders here. Can you imagine them opening this letter? And what were they going through? I'm convinced whatever they were going through, this letter was right on time. You ever get a text that's right on time? Like, Lord, you heard my prayer. You ever get something in the mail that's right on time? You ever come in on a Sunday morning to hear a message that's right on time? I promise, I don't, I don't preach to anyone specifically. I preach the Word and I let it do its work. But how often do you walk in and you're like, that is exactly what I needed to hear. Were you spying on me through my Alexa this week? No, 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 that was the government. <laughs> Here's the thing. Peter wants these believers to, why is it that I can talk about cat food and I don't even have a cat? And I get ads about cat food on my phone. Does that not freak you out? That's a sad note. Peter wants these believers to know that because of the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, hey, he's saying there's something to look forward to in future glory. He's like, yeah, yes, it looked bad around them. But what they could see was not all that there were. And that's the same for us. He's using the word glory, future glory. What is glory? Glory is the sum total of all God is and all God does. And so when, 
especially in kind of Southern Baptist life, when you see God show up and show out and do something, you'll say, glory, right? Glory, glory to old Georgia. Some, a lot of people say that. It's the, it's the sum total of the greatness. I mean, it's in context, not theologically sound, but it's in the context of what glory means. Glory! It's the sum total of all that God is and all that God does. And what he's saying, Christians are set aside for that. Do you catch it? We're set aside for God's glory. We are set aside to be vessels for the sum total of all God is and all God does. Us, glory, we are set aside for that by His grace and mercy. Which means we don't set our side, we don't set ourselves aside for God on our own merit. That only happens to a call of repentance and obedience. God will always bless obedience with glory. If you think about that, you know, when a person is born, they're not born into, they're not born into future glory. They're born to live only for ourselves. That's why you don't teach a child to be selfish. You don't teach a child to steal. You don't teach a child to lie. We're, we're, we're naturally born for the glory of ourselves. That's, that's us. The works of man done for the glory of man. You know what it's going to do? It's going to fade out, right? It's going to disappear. And every human achievement will vanish and will be seen no more. I need to admit, in my softball abilities, I've lost a step. My check engine lights come on. We had our first game yesterday. It's fading. I can feel it. I said yesterday, ball went by and I'm like, I would have got that 20 years ago. I would have got that 20 pounds ago. <laughs> it's fading. It's there. There was, a, there was a moment in my life where I just loved to, to play sports and be on the ball field. I wanted every ball hit to me. Now I'm at the point where I'm like, I hope they never hit it to me. <laughs> right? Future glory fades whenever you do things on this earth because we're just naturally by, by design fading out slowly. Isaiah 46 tells us this. A voice was saying, cry out. Another one said, what should I cry out? All humanity is grass, and all of its goodness is like the flower of the field. So what that's telling us is we're temporary things. We're just fading away. And so if we're going to have future glory, we have to have something that's more grounded than just earthly glory. Because it's temporary. And so Peter's reminding these exiles that they have been born for glory now in Christ Jesus as a living hope. A living hope that their service for the Lord on the path that they're currently walking is uncertain. But he's like, listen, I know what you're seeing is very scary. You're scattered. You're, you're in this world. You're not of this world. You stick out like a sore thumb. I get it. But I promise you, the things that you live out for God in this environment will pay off. Because Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all and we get to keep the change. That their grief in serving while they wait for the blessed hope is being paid into a heavenly bank account. That is a secure inheritance. 
When you live your life for the glory of God, you're storing up an inheritance in heaven. Romans, 3, uh, Romans 5, 3 and 5 says this, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, we live for the things of God. The hope that we put our lives in and around will not lead us to shame. That's what he's saying. When you put your faith and your hope and your life daily in the things of God and His Word and His people, you're not going to be put to shame. You're not going to regret it. You're not going to be let down. That's what he's saying. It will hold you up as a firm foundation. You know as well as I do, putting hope in the things of this world will eventually let you down. It'll leave you high. It'll leave you dry. It'll leave you broke. All the other things that rhyme with that. (laughs) Because it's temporal. It fades. It has to. The man that dies with the most toys still dies. David Livingston was a, was a medical missionary. He was a slave abolitionist in the 1800s. And after his death on the mission field, he was being brought back to London to be buried at Westminster Abbey. Shut the town down. Everybody was there. And as he arrived, the crowds of people lined the streets along the route. And one man standing there behind the barricade was obviously very emotional. And somebody standing next to that man that was emotional said, Hey, do you know David? Did you know the missionary well? He said, yeah, I knew David well. He and I were boyhood friends. and We actually went to Africa together. But I went for African gold. And he went for African souls. And I realize now that I've concentrated my life in the wrong place. There's a famous quote that said, Two paths diverged in a wood. I took the one less traveled. And it made all the difference. So what Peter's doing, he's got him by the shoulders. And he's like, don't you forget, you have a fixed, firm foundation. Hey, in Cappadocia, don't you forget, you've got a future hope that's a fixed foundation. Hey, when that letter rolled over to Bithynia, and it rolled over to Pontus, and it rolled over to Galatia, and it just kept getting passed over into Asia, they were opening it up. And can you see the discouragement and the despair changing on their face? This is Peter reminding we got a future hope on Christ Jesus. It's fresh because he just walked away from the cross and ran from the cross 30 years ago. And he's writing us a letter, the stone of the church. See, if you you know without a shadow of a doubt that something as wonderful is guaranteed, if you know without a shadow of a doubt that there is power in your waiting, if there's something around the corner, there's little that you won't do to endure it. Right? How long will we wait for Mexican food? Right? I mean, at your pie, on pie day, on 314, I think pizza's like $3.14. People are lined out the door. Right? When the varsity turned 90, Two years ago, they had chili dogs for 90 cents. So me and the boys loaded up. We went to Athens because I couldn't pay, you know, a dollar and a half. You know, I had to make that trip. 
And so I waited in line for two hours for a stinking chili dog. But after about 10 minutes, it was no longer about the chili dog. It was pride. I'm going to accomplish this goal. And I walked away hungry because I, I had somewhere to be. And the line never moved. The line never moved. I called Debbie. She's like, where are you? I'm like, I haven't moved. She's like, we will go back next week. I'll loan you 50 cents. <laughs> it's not about the chili dog anymore. I'll wait. People, and you know, people will endure the rain. They'll endure sleet and snow and heat waiting in line for temporary stuff that the world has to offer. Did a search. The longest wait time at Disney World was a ride called the Rock and Roll Coaster. It was 240 minutes. People waiting in line. In 1987, U2, they came out with a concert. They were doing tour. People stood in line for 16 hours. When Air Jordan 2 Retros, they were labeled just Don's, came out. The Chicago Jordan store said that people slept on the sidewalk for five days for a shoe. Some of you look disgusted. <laughs> That's right. Or chili dog. What I'm saying is, we are naturally drawn to wait for things if we know something good is around the corner. And Peter's like, listen, I know you're scattered. I know you're dispersed. But you wait for your future hope and glory. It's worth the wait. God will, will keep his sheep. He will protect his sheep through his power. Listen, by sustaining your faith to the very end. That's what you have. If you've, if you've placed your faith in the Lordship of Christ, you are being kept for glory. You're kept for it. The word translated kept, means it's a military word. It means guarded. It means shielded. And the beautiful thing about the, the language is the verb tense that is used in kept means constantly, never ending, being guarded. Which means Jesus is continuously the ongoing factor that assures that we will safely make it to heaven on His merit alone, not ours. See, if we can lose our salvation, we would. And there's no security in that future hope. The tomb is empty, which means our salvation is alive and it's secure. And Jesus is at the right hand of the Father advocating for me and for you. See, let me teach you something about the heavenly realms. Yes, Ephesians tells us that there's a battle going on in realms we cannot see. The enemy, Satan himself, can traverse heaven and earth. But he's not omniscient. He can't be everywhere at the same time. So what he'll do is he will tell us lies on this side of heaven saying you don't qualify for heaven. And for that answer, you say, yes, I do, because Jesus told me I did. But when he gets to heaven, he will accuse you before the Lord and say, you can't let them in. They don't qualify. And what does the Lord say? Yes, they do because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus that we have our eternal security kept continuously guarded. And so when you stumble, fumble and make mistakes during the day, at night you can rest well knowing that your salvation is guarded in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And when you wake up in the morning, his mercy is new that morning. Because he is guarding your inheritance in heaven. 
And so for that, I'm saying you lift your head in future hope and you take another step toward the cross knowing that it's secure. Jude 24 and 25 says this. This is a great memory verse. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, power and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. When you stand before the Lord, the only way we can stand before Him is because of Jesus. That's it. That's the only qualifying factor. You can only stand in majesty and glory before the King of Heaven because of the merit of Jesus and His goodness. That he has applied, imputed is the word, to us. Callie-Ann hit the nail on the head. She said, the Lord's really been working on me. You know what kind of work the Lord was doing? Applying the goodness of Jesus on her account. That's it. That's it. See, what you need to know as we close is this. Peter's telling these believers... This is not a suggestion that believers are shielded from pain and difficulty and anguish. Because this is not our home. We're exiles. It does not suggest that, we'll be, that we won't be engulfed and snagged by the snares of the devil. We will. He's bigger, faster, smarter than we will ever be. It does not suggest that the guarding will keep us from unspeakable tragedy. It just won't. We live in a broken world. Tragic things happen. But what does it mean? It means that God himself guards and watches over my soul. And over your soul. And our inheritance is in a heavenly vault that, a vault that rust and moth cannot destroy. Thank goodness. And so what does that mean? It means our faith in Christ has so united us with him... That his power now guides us and it guards us. It picks us up when we fall on our faces and changes our name so that we can be used by him again and again and again and again. It is by the grace of God that he gives you a new name every single day. My son, my child, my son, I love you. I foreknew you. As the song says, who can mind the journey when the road leads home? I'll write this down, last thing. God's promise of imperishable glory tomorrow makes a cautious crossing a blessing for today. And so more than ever before, listen to me, as your pastor, I want you to know, I pray that you know who you are. And if you don't know who you are in your identity, and you've got a glimpse of God's love for you, I want this to be the day of your salvation. I want this to be the moment that you step in and step toward the cross and say, I've seen what happened to here, and I want some of that. I need to be given a new name. I want you to know who you are so that you know what you have. You have an imperishable gift in the Lord Jesus. 
that nothing you do can ever take away from if you've placed your faith in Christ. God love, does God love sinners? Absolutely He does. But He loves us too much to leave us like that. So He renames us every single day so that we can press on toward where we're going. That's what a cautious crossing is all about. How do we cautiously cross every day from this life to the one to come? We have to be people of future hope. And we have to be people of a secure, godly foundation. We're just at week one. It's going to be good. Let's, let's stand together and let's pray, church. Future hope. If you're a guest with us, what's about to happen? Our praise team is going to come up. This is, still a, this is still part of the service. This is an important moment because what it does, it gives people an opportunity to respond in their heart to the truth that they heard in their ears. And my prayer for you is that would you let the power of God work in the next few minutes. What are you going to do with Jesus? You're going to accept Him as Savior? Follow Him in repentance and baptism? I pray that would be the case if you're an unbeliever. Hey, it may be a moment where you simply come to this altar as a, as a person in need to take another step into the identity that God has called you to be. Maybe you just want to lay down something right here and say, God, I, I'm sorry. Man, I have blown it far and wide. And let me tell you this. God loved you so much that he died for you. Far and wide. He reached those arms out. And he said, if you'll, if you'll bring your junk to me, and let me give my goodness and righteousness to you again. His word says he promises to remember it no more. Casting it as far as the east is from the west. That's an infinite distance. He said, I will bury it to the bottom of the ocean floor and remember it no more. And God's not a liar. And so if God says He will forget your iniquities, He will because He's already applied it past, future, and present to the Lordship of Jesus. Jesus went through hell so we didn't have to. and He came out refined so that we can cross cautiously with a living hope. Let me read this to you. These words settle on your heart. Psalm 91 says this. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say concerning the Lord, who is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, He Himself will rescue you from the bird trap, from the destructive plagues. He will cover you with His feathers, and you will take refuge under His wing. And so my prayer for you is that if you need to rest under the shelter of the Most High, if you need to come under the Father's wing this morning, you would just step out. I'm right here if you need prayer. 
We've got other people that would love to pray with you in this altar. If you just want to kneel down and ask the Lord to show you His covering, this is the moment. This is the moment. His faithful, His faithfulness will be a protective shield. You will not fear the terror of the night, the arrow that flies by day, the plague that stalks in the darkness, or the pestilence that ravages at noon. Throw a thousand fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand. The pestilence will not reach you and you will only see it with your eyes and witness the punishment of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord my refuge, the Most High, and your dwelling place, no harm will come to you. No plague will come near your tent. For He will give His angels orders concerning you to protect you in all of your ways because we have an inheritance church that nothing on this side of eternity can take away from so we're going to sing his praises let the spirit of God work let's pray together Father you are faithful and you are good and you are holy and we are not but yet not on our own merit but on your goodness and holiness and the righteousness of your son We can hold on today a little while longer with a future hope anchored in eternity. Father, I ask you to continue to work in our midst this morning. God, break a stronghold. Rescue a heart. Save a soul, Lord. May the devil know without a shadow of a doubt that in Christ he's lost another one today, Lord. So God, may your heaven fall, Lord on us the next few minutes as your people the blood-bought redeemed sing your praises God thank you Lord for your living word and your living hope on all God's people said Amen Amen